The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit filling out that nomination form for the Ricky Martin Lookalike Contest and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 292, featuring the .NET Nuke panel at DevConnections, recorded live Thursday, November 8, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by... Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, Team System, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who's eagerly awaiting the release of .NET Duke Nukem, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much, Lawrence Ryan, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Richard and I are here for show number two this week, the Thursday show. Hi, Richard. Hey, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying the crisp weather of autumn in New England. Well, wet autumn in Vancouver is rain and rain and rain. Rain and rain. Well, that's okay. Uh, also looking forward to a little barbecue tonight. But nice. that is not important to our listeners, and therefore we shall get started right away with... Better know framework. All righty, what do you got for me? So today I want to talk about something that you might not ever use, but it's pretty cool that it's in there. And I'm talking about the system.codedom namespace, C-O-D-E-D-O-M. DOM, of course, stands for document object model. Right. And uh, this is uh, reading right from the help file. The system code down namespace contains classes that can be used to represent the elements and structure of a source code document. The classes in this namespace can be used to model the structure of a source code document that can be output as source code in a supported language using the functionality provided by the system.codedom.compiler namespace. So basically, this allows you to generate .NET code in any language, and it is no surprise that this is used extensively by Developer Express's Refactor and Code Rush. Right? Right. Yeah. 
So anybody who's going to be working in Visual Studio, uh, especially with add-ins, and you're going to be doing some code generation, this is exactly what you would use, the code DOM. And, uh, you know, if you want to see uh, Mark Miller's uh, DX Core plugin uh, architecture, which is free, by the way, uh, for creating add-ins and plugins for Visual Studio, you should go to dnrtv.com, look through the archives for Mark Miller on the DX Core. It was an early show, but it was really, really amazing. He took a request from a listener uh, and who's, you know, we said, what do you want Mark to do? I guess it was on his blog or on my blog. And somebody suggested, hey, why don't you do X? And he just did it. And it was truly amazing. Truly amazing to see. Um, Richard, we don't have an email this, uh, this show, do we? You know, I look through the emails. We get lots of emails, and I appreciate them all. By all means, send more. .net rocks at franklins.net. But I always try and focus on emails that provide new content, hmm. stuff that people are, are interested in, and uh, none of them seem to work for me today. Maybe I'm just grumpy. Slim pickings. Yeah, well, I'm not complaining. It's nice. You know, I, I think I said to you, this to you way back when I first started. It's nice to get mail every day. It really is. It's something. Something that everybody should... Uh Everybody should experience once in their lifetime. Well, uh, Richard, it changes in the air this autumn. I can feel it all around me. Uh, people are changing. It, 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 you know, it's almost to the point where I think somebody put something in the water supply. It is kind of crazy, isn't it? I can't understand. Everybody in my immediate family, friends, are going through these tumultuous changes and I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just coincidence. But anyway, if you're th- thinking of changing careers, you might want to consider working in Manhattan with uh, Infusion, Infusion.com. And these guys want to get you to Manhattan to work for a year in the New York tour. They're going to put you up in an apartment rent-free for the year. And uh, it's sort of a no strings attached, come and work for a year and then see you know what you want to do after that. If you're interested in this deal, go to shrinkster.com slash kh6 for more information. Now, uh, this show is another show that we recorded at Dev Connections, just like right. Tuesday's show. But this one was with the .NET Nuke guys. This is a .NET Nuke panel. So originally we'd planned on recording the .NET Nuke Futures panel at the SDC conference in the Netherlands. Right. But we had other issues. <laughs> yeah, namely, I didn't get there. Right. And <laughs> and to be honest, I went and did the panel anyway, and yeah. it was that was fine. But it was a small panel, yeah. a relatively small group. We had a great discussion going back and forth, very interactive with the audience, which I thought was a lot of fun. But the uh, I was blown away at the number of people that came out for this panel at Dev Connections. The room was packed. The room was packed, and a lot of them were .NET Nuke consultants. Well, you'll hear it. Let's just roll the tape. Hey, Vegas, welcome to .NET Rocks! <laughs> Thank you. This is a very special edition of .NET Rocks. We're here in front of a live studio audience. Uh, is this lot, studio? The TV audience back home is watching. Hi. Hi, Mom. And uh, we're here to talk about .NET Nuke. I'm here with Richard Campbell, who's on the other end of the table. Richard? Yes, sir. I mean, I can hear you, but I can't see you, so it's almost like I'm back at home. Yeah, it's exactly just like back at home. Uh, we have an esteemed panel of guests that are here to talk about .NET Nuke. In terms of the talent that is on the stage, you couldn't get any .NET Nukier. 
Uh, let me have them introduce themselves right now. I'd like to uh, introduce the man to my left, uh, Scott Wilhite. Hi, Scott. How you doing? And uh, Sean Walker, the Mr.NET Nuke himself. On his left, we have Joe Brinkman. And followed by Nick Cagliani. On Nick's left, none other than Larry Augustin. And of course, Richard and I are here. So welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, we do have a microphone on the floor. Uh, it's uh, right in front of me, more or less. So uh, we're hoping you guys have some questions for these guys after we get rolling a little ways. And by all means, please come to the microphone. We'd like you to be part of our show. Uh, it's going to go out to lots of folks who want to know more about .NET Nuke, like, just like you do. So I guess we'll just uh, uh, ask the panel who wants to start this uh, train wreck. I believe I'm going to start it. <laughs> All right, Sean, All right. the floor is yours. All right, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. Um, for some of you who didn't see my or the uh, keynote address a couple days ago, we're going to do a couple slides here, just going over the high-level points uh, from the keynote, just to provide a bit of context for, for, this, uh, for this panel discussion. So uh, in terms of our focus, uh, the focus of .NET Corporation, in terms of carrying the project forward, um, our goals are to increase the adoption of .NET Nuke around the world. Uh, we already have a significant amount of adoption with the platform, but we want to significantly grow that further. Uh, we want to use strategic services to increase business confidence in the platform. Um, one of the ways that we uh, have done that recently is by uh, introducing our subscription SLA program, but we intend to offer uh, more services which can increase the confidence around the platform as well. And grow the ecosystem through innovative programs for vendors and partners. Uh, I mentioned a partner program earlier this week, so we're going to talk about that probably today. Um, and really, I mean, this is all about the abundance mentality, which I talked about. So um, creating opportunities for others, we believe that in doing so, we succeed ourselves. So uh, We also talked earlier this week about funding. So um, sources of revenue that will allow us to grow the project at a much more rapid pace than we have been in the past using more organic means. Um, so, uh, it, to date, .NET New Corporation has invested $500,000 in, in, into the platform. Um, a significant sum of money, but as we, as we go forward, we know that we're going to need more than that to, to do some of the things that we want to do with the platform. And how we uh, continue to uh, develop the platform and fund it involves uh, two, two different sets of, of revenue. So, primary sources of revenue and secondary sources of revenue. I believe you wanted Carl to participate in this, right? Sure. We'll get there. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, in terms of primary sources of revenue. What? <laughs> what? 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 Hey, you don't know these answers, Carl? What, am I supposed to read this? <laughs> no, no, let me see. Uh, .NET Rocks listeners. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anyways, advertising and sponsorship is one of the uh, sort of fundamental revenue streams that we've had to date. Um, which yeah, that's really been your, your only source of revenue up till now, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, that's, that's been... Um, it, we've, we've really appreciated the support of the community in this particular area because it's provided the bread and butter to date, but, I mean, it's not really a viable revenue model going forward. Uh, we've recognized that for a while now, and we, we need to address that. Um, another aspect is private equity investment. And when we talk about private equity investment, we're talking about, you know, institutional, professional-type investors. So 
just just to clarify that aspect of things. And so we want to offer. You're not asking your your user base to invest per se. You know what I think? Uh, maybe if you had Pledge Week, like they have on public radio, <laughs> where where the application just stops working. <laughs> Uh, another aspect would be strategic services around the platform. So what does that mean, strategic services? Strategic services would be our support program, or, or I mean our subscription SLA program, uh, partner program. Um, we run the marketplace, which helps support the ecosystem as well. So any number of strategic services around the uh, actual product itself, which help people, you know, do business. So you mean you? The point being, the product remains. Free. I mean, .NET Nuke remains free. Absolutely. But you are building a, an ecosystem around it that is revenue-based. Right. Well, the ecosystem already exists today. This right. is something that, I mean, we wouldn't have had a conference of this stature without, you know, serious business interest in the platform already. And, but we, we see that there's some areas which, you know, are not being filled today, you know, needs in the community which are not being met. The, the down, I mean, the downside to a volunteer participation model is people do what they want to do. They're volunteers. Right. So they do the cool stuff. They don't always do the necessary stuff. And I remember uh, an example of this, another open source product named uh, Postgres, and somebody asked me about it. I had some experience with it where I said, here's what happens. The cool stuff is we have arrays as data elements and can pass them into store procedures. That's cool, and the product has that, but it doesn't have incremental backup. Which is necessary. Because incremental backup's not cool, and volunteers aren't going to build it. So, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, what you're talking about is you're going to fill in the infrastructure of the non-cool stuff that really needs to be there, right? to some degree, for a fee. Um, that's part of it. Yeah, it's really about growth acceleration. That's what we're we're looking at because we've reached a point where uh, .NET Nuke is a mission critical application in a lot of business scenarios, and our customers are pretty clear about what features th they want. And uh, our job is to deliver them. But in order to deliver it, we need to make sure that we have the right resources. Well, you can't and you can't put a timeline around a volunteer workforce. But companies need timelines. They need to know this feature is going to ship when. And you guys are going to buck the trend and deliver all your software on time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a small misconception as well, I think, that, uh, that all of the work that has gone on on .NET Nuke is volunteer. And please don't let me imply that I'm discounting the volunteer work because there's loads and loads of it. Right. But from the very first day, I mean, the work on .NET Nuke has been underwritten by you know, one company at least, and that first one was Perpetual Motion Interactive Systems, right? Sean's original corporation. So, um, but what happens is there is a ceiling at which, you know, that, that kind of support um, quits. You know, as Nick implied, there's a momentum issue there. So in order for us to continue to push into enterprise organizations, into a lot of your companies, I'm sure you guys could tell us stories about the resistance you get with adoption of .NET Nate. Um, you know, some things have to change uh, organizationally, and it, it's a function of growth is what it is. So if we want to continue to grow and mature and be accepted uh, in certain circles that we're not accepted now, um, you know, we have to take on some of the uh, visible attributes of a mature uh, platform that we don't have. And I, I point out that the, it's a visible issue as opposed to a presence absence issue because a lot of those things do exist. People just can't see them. Well, and if you look at the normal sort of growth of open source projects and open source companies, this is something we've seen pretty regularly. The company I was involved with, JBoss, for example. It's a great example of a great open source project that uh, reached a very significant scale on its own with volunteer effort, 
uh, but eventually, you know, transformed into a much, much larger, more successful company and created a much broader set of open source software as a result of being able to, to sort of put more resources behind it. And, and to your point then, Larry, you're not blazing a trail here with .NET Nuke into uncharted open source waters. Other companies right. have gone before with their open source products and been successful in this model. Uh, and I think uh, more so than that, I think, at, you know, at some point, to really scale the project and really sort of fill in all those things, as you said, that, you know, people, um, uh, the, the, the grunge stuff, yep. you know, that, that volunteers, it's, it's hard to get people to do and it's hard to fill in and it's hard for even a small team to kind of fill in all those grunge things, right? I mean, these guys get, get they want to work on cool stuff occasionally too. <laughs> I, I, I gave up that. At, at, some, point, at some point, you need, you need a little bit more sort of paid resources behind things. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that looks like we're at where we are today. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it for probably a, a number of years now that it, it's really been a, a problem, a limitation in the project. So um, we've been really focused on that area in the last six to eight months in terms of how to solve it. So, Sean, did you finish your points? Uh, another, another primary source of revenue that we were looking at is uh, commercial products for emerging markets. And what I'm talking about there is uh, products that work with the .NET Nuke uh, platform that don't exist today. Uh, good examples would be uh, perhaps connectors to other systems provided by other vendors. Like for example, if you wanted to connect .NET Nuke to a human resources system or an ERP, I mean, individual um, vendors today aren't really creating those um, available for sale commercially. Um, sometimes they exist internally at companies, but we see that as, as a way to grow adoption of the platform, but it, it's really not something that's being um, delivered by the community today, and that might be a place where we would have to step in, make a you know, uh, create a relationship with those vendors, and then you know, create products that, that fit those areas. Are we talking about .NET Nuke for SAP? Yes. <laughs> wow. Actually, I, 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 now you scare me, Joe. <laughs> I've, uh, Why? I think our install SAP, base might be SAP larger. SAP could use a nice front, you know, oh, some, yeah. some good technology. There, there are a number of, of vendors out there who, who are and, and have made uh, approaches about how do we use this as a front end because we don't have a good portal solution for our line of products. You know, right. that we want a web presence for those products. And they're looking to say, you know, .NET Nuke could certainly be that uh, for them. It's really not that much of a stretch. And, and mm -hmm. bottom line is the infrastructure is well known. The challenge is the connectors. Right. And, and, I, and I presume then we're talking the possibility those connectors would be for sale and or provided by the source vendor. I mean, would SAP consider building those connectors? Uh, if SAP didn't, then somebody else would potentially. Yeah. Well, no, it could be a, a market. Hasn't the customer base of .NET Nuke really been the non-corporate customer, or is it? Am I just wrong that's, in thinking that's a that? perception, but not a reality? So tell me about that. Who who is your? Do you have any demographics or statistics on who's <laughs> all these that? people out here? <laughs> no, <laughs> they a lot of them work for large companies or are hmm. implementing consulting on projects for large companies. Hmm. U.S. Uh, Department of Navy, you know, a lot of DOD, a lot of people down in Australia. Um, so. We have significant adoption in, in education, number of universities using it, uh, a, a number of nonprofits use .NUC, and uh, we list at least 50 publicly traded companies that, that use .NUC. That's fabulous. Uh, yeah, and uh, our, our challenge has always been uh, finding those .NUC installations that are behind the firewalls, and hopefully this conference is a a place where we can start doing that because we want to interact with those customers so they can help us 
improve our product. In, in, in fact, uh, Texas Instruments, who's actually uh, volunteered their services for uh, videotaping today, um, run .NET Nuke for their training department. All of their training runs through a .NET Nuke installation in their in their intranet. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I've always been impressed, Sean, with the, the level of involvement in the third-party community of people who are creating, uh, what's the word for them now? Modules. Modules, right, because <laughs> I didn't want to say the wrong word. Widgets, <laughs> modules, continue. Um, the modules for .NET Nuke, I mean, the last time I looked, it, it was just enormous. And it reminds me of the days of VB10, quite frankly, where all these companies started making custom controls because there was a great model around it and it was well supported. Um, that obviously is just growing and growing. Right. I mean, that's been one of the fundamental strengths of the platform is that it's pluggable. So people can build extensions to it very easily. And actually, we've made it very easy for the consumer as well to install those products. So both sides of the equation were there very early on. And they created the basis of a very strong uh, commercial ecosystem. Mm. In, in addition to modules, there's also a thriving uh, ecosystem of uh, skins because .NET Nuke is a skinnable product. There's a large number of commercial skins available also. So yeah, we've been designer-friendly from, from very early on yeah. as well. Yeah, the challenge is always to skin the site in such a way that you don't know it's a .NET Nuke site anymore. Yeah. Well, at least they all have that problem. I mean, SharePoint suffered from that you know, for Suffers, years. I think, is the... <laughs> Present tense. Uh, do we need to talk a little more about the secondary sources? Yeah, so I mean, when we talk about sources of revenue, primary sources are things that we believe will really sustain the growth of the, uh, the project and you know, the community long going. We also have secondary sources of revenue that we identified. Um, one of those is the Benefactor Program. That's been a program that we launched uh, about a year and a half ago, I believe. And the, the intent of that was to allow individuals and companies to uh, interact with the project at a different level and also support it financially to a limited extent. Um, it was a bit of an experiment when we first rolled it out because we thought, you know, we could ultimately support the entire project based on the Benefactor program, but we found out through it that there's really only a limited number of people that want to invest that, that level into the project monetarily. Um, people are still, at the end of the day, interested in what benefits it provides for them. Right, so you know everybody's looking for something, and so that program is going to continue to exist because it provides great feedback loops for us. But it, we don't see it as a as a primary source of revenue ongoing. Yeah, in fact, when we uh, implemented the program, we did envision it as a pledge drive type uh, yeah. model, yeah. and only had you know token gifts like a, a coffee mug or something like that. Yeah, anybody but who remembers that, shareware, yeah, thinks that's about but it. It turns out that uh, people are very serious about getting something in return. So. Yeah. And when you say something in return, you're talking um, tangible features, um, perhaps marketing benefit, um, greater access to the developers on the team. I see. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, specific more to the influence. Well, right. I have a question about consultancy. Now, um, I've met a couple people in the audience before the show who said they were uh, doing full-time Donna New consulting. Um, Donna New consultants. Anyone who's doing work, look at that. Wow, that's, wow. that's a third? Yeah, a that's good impressive. third, maybe 25%, 30%. Um, well, so do you, ever, do you ever get support from the consultants so that they're out in the field, they're doing something, they need a feature, they, they're talking back with you guys, they implement something and then add it to the, add it to the product? Does that ever happen? That's a good question. I, I think that um, that we can. Uh, this is again one of those areas in the project that could use some improvement um, in terms of the channels that uh, 
people can go through to basically, you know, uh, communicate with us and let us know of things that are that are lacking in the platform, mm. um, and then we can evaluate that in terms of whether that's something that's a, a general feature that would apply to almost anyone, or whether it's very specific to right. to their market. If it's a work for hire from the from the company, they right. may mm-hmm. not want to share that. Plus, the other part that has, we always have to be careful about is. Um, is intellectual property governance. So yeah, just who be, actually owns that code? Right, right. So we have to be careful there. It might not be the consultant. It might be the usually it's the company that it's they the did company. the work for, and they might not necessarily want to sign it over. And so you get into uh, legal issues there that have to be managed to protect you know the long term viability of the platform. So and, and Sean mentioned something that I think is is really key there, and that is that that we don't take contributions unless we can also have control of the IP that is necessary for us mm. to know and to protect the platform itself. Yeah. In other words, we'll dual license something or make arrangements with the owner so that so that we can dual continue contract. to innovate going forward. Yeah. Um on that on that IP. Yeah, you really don't want to cripple the ability to advance the product over a particular license. Right. And we, right. we don't want to get sued and we don't want the people who use the platform to get sued either. Right. Right. So and the bigger target you are, the more likely that's going to happen. So it's something you have to really be prepared to take care of it when you run an open source project. The other um, secondary source of income we see is the, mar- is the marketplace. We have a marketplace today, which is a reseller channel for people who are building extensions to the platform. These would be modules, skins, and other components. Um, and ongoing, we see that you know we want to provide visibility for vendors who are building those types of extensions. Um, but it's a very um, low-margin type of... Uh, marketplace today. I mean, the commission structure isn't isn't enough really to fund the uh, the project ongoing. Um, we do see it as a viable um, a viable channel, though, for third parties to I mean build whole companies around the platform. Right? I mean, you can build modules or skins today and and, and build a whole company around that. We, that that already happens today. So, all right. I- is that, is that all there is to funding? I think we've uh, talked it through pretty seriously. <laughs> More than I knew about funding. So what's up next? Cambrian? Cambrian. So we, we announced um, at the keynote the uh, next generation .NET Nuke product. Rather than call it something boring like .NET Nuke 5. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick came up with a really great marketing name for it, Cambrian. We explained what Cambrian was. Maybe Nick would like to explain what Cambrian is again. But uh, Sure. Uh, we, we had a debate about the correct pronunciation. I think it's Cambrian, but... Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, anyway... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more of an English pronunciation versus a North American pronunciation. Canadian right. versus... <laughs> so, Cambrian. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's a term we came up with based on uh, uh, evolution. I mean, about 500 million years ago, uh, there was uh, a rapid shift uh, in the Earth's ev- evolution where we went from simple organisms to an explosion of life, of very c- complex life forms. And uh, we see uh, parallels with what we are about to embark on with Data Nuke. Current where... president excluded, of course. Uh, sure. None of that. <laughs> <laughs> So we see parallels with .NET Nuke where we have been very successful at delivering uh, a product that has advanced content management capabilities and now we want to go on to the next level and that's our evolution. But it is going to be version 5. Yes. Well, <laughs> under the covers. <laughs> no, we prefer to think of it as version 2008. <laughs> 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 All right, 
So what are we? What so are we? <laughs> Cambrian is re represented by a number of, of new additions to the platform. Uh, the first thing would be a uh, social networking and widget um, capability, which doesn't really exist today. Um, we see a need for uh, social networking has become really popular in the industry. I mean, many web applications. Um, require this type of a feature now because consumers are getting so used to it in the social networking applications that they use in their everyday life. They want to see that type of functionality in business applications as well. So we see a need for that in the platform. Widgets are one way to accomplish social networking, but widgets also can uh, provide a lot more functionality. Uh, the other aspect, which, I mean, it, we have a roadmap module on our site. The number one vote getter on there is workflow. So when we're talking about workflow, we're talking about content versioning. So today we have a pretty simple publish model when it comes to .NET Nuke. Basically, it's direct publish. Um, larger organizations would like the ability to have different versions of content which go through an approval process. Um, core module suites. So what we um, see as a potentially a problem today is, you know, we do have a number of modules that we support um, on our own. So we have projects with, with individual project teams. Um, we have some really great project leaders that, that are very passionate about their project and, you know, release them fairly frequently. And then we have some other projects which have kind of stalled. And then the community wonders if, you know, if they're ever going to keep going. So um, we, we've recognized that as a problem. And, and realistically, we need to People judge .NET Nuke, the platform, based on the strength of its modules, so we really need to improve our emphasis on the modules and help the project teams improve. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerik's Q2 2000 Tools update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The Ajax-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. In talking in talking about the modules, I mean, I'm on the Baptist module team, yep. and so I know how the process works. But I know six months ago, I think it was Scott that actually mentioned that there were going to be changes to the way the core team is determined who's on the core team, who's actively contributing, as well as with the module teams to try to clean up some of that slack. And that was something that was kind of mentioned and sort of promised in a non-direct way you know, six, eight months ago. 
and I know that it's something that kind of plagues most of the projects. Is there something, you know, is there a timeline, or are we just looking at some time when Cambridge comes out that we're going to see that? I, I think I sent a memo to the Human Resources Department about that, and they haven't gotten back to me yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks very much for your question. I have a couple of books. They pass that along. I don't know if you've heard of this product. It's the old version, though. It's only four. I think to address the question more seriously, though, there were some steps that were taken in terms of improving the quality of modules that are coming out, and that is our module release process. And we actually have one of the project lead here today who's now taken sort of assumed responsibility for that area, which is Sebastian. And that process has had some hiccups over time, but I think that we are getting it back on track now. We had a great meeting when we were in Europe about how we can get it back on track. So we had a European conference in the middle of September. Um, steps have already been taken to improve that process. And I don't know if that, that directly answers your question about, because you, you were talking about core team involvement as well. So maybe you're talking about how but project leads can move up and that that's something that that is um, not new. We do that every year, and we have done that every year. Is gone through a mini reorg and and uh, promoted some people to the team, and 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 let some other people focus on their businesses because it didn't seem like they they had the time to devote to the team anymore. Um, and so you know that's been a normal part of of .NET Nuke for the last four years. So there's nothing really new there. The only question is, you know, when is the reorg going to happen for this year? And I think you're going to see that soon. Um, yeah. But uh, but I don't, you know, I can't say it's going to be on December 15th. Yeah. You know. While you're at the microphone, and I'm, I'm pulling this a little to the to the .NET Rock side because I'm curious. So, uh, what's your name? Mitchell Sellers. So, Mitchell, are are you working on .NET New? Yes. So, are you part of the core team? No, I'm part of uh, the .NET module team, and then I do. Um, consultant through my business as well as I work with .NET Nuke at my primary employer, Wells Fargo Homework. Okay, so you're employed, working on .NET Nuke, got a side consulting business working on .NET Nuke, and you're contributing to the project. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, first I know you're busy. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm interested in your question, just, uh, is it of interest to you to be part of the core team? Yes, it's something, you know, it, it is of interest because to me I see that, you know, my business is pretty much based on .NET development. Right, 60, no, no doubt. 60% Most... of my business's revenue comes from activities relating to working with .NET. I work with it at work, so knowing how the platform is going, being able to help it evolve, you know, I use Windows authentication at work, which is something that everyone, I think, knows has been very troublesome up through like four six. Right. And being able to kind of help on that type of thing from the community is something that, you know, I try to give back what I can. I think most of the regulars here recognize me as well as one of the fairly active forum posters, you know, as well. So I try to give back when I can and I guess really I want to try to see if there's ways of members of the community that can help stop some of these projects that are stalled. Right. If there's a way that we can give back, you know, what can we do? Is there something that we can do, feedback that we need to give? I know that so, um, I, Scott and Joe and them are probably tired of hearing from me. But, <laughs> you know, they, there are worse things in this world than a passionate community that, that holds on to what really matters to them and keeps pushing against the guys are ignoring them. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not ignoring me. Well, maybe but, Scott. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Scott. But, but so, no I mean, getting back to, to your particular motivation, that that your interest in being in the core team is an opportunity to influence the direct of the product more directly. I mean, you, that's one of your motiv motivations. But, but it sounds like also there's some specific things you'd like to fix. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I have a laundry list of them. I'm sure. <laughs> well, and also, I, I kind of think that being part of a core team is a fairly prestigious thing. Like, it's good for your business to say, mm -hmm. I'm part of the .NET new core team. Full disclosure here, right? I'm a Microsoft regional director, and one of the, which is a terrible title because I don't work for Microsoft. I don't have a region. I don't direct anything. <laughs> <laughs> but the upside to being a Microsoft regional director is being able to say that joke. Uh, but <laughs> but people have a really strong reaction to that. When I can go to a customer and say, look, I'm an RD. I have an inside view into Microsoft that I can ultimately bring to bear on your business. We're going to pick some directions. We're going to do some development. We're going to have access to resources that's going to make you more successful. And I, I see that reflected here in .NET Nuke as well. And it's, it's very interesting to me uh, to see that you know, this is the potential of, of a technology that you know, started, you keep thinking as community as small, and I think it's just false that this has huge potential from a work point of view and also from, uh, from a career point of view. Yeah, uh, there's another side to it as well, Richard, though, that, um, that kind of was difficult to deal with in the early years. I mean, the first year was very easy to select core team members because it was, you know, the forums were relatively busy, but it was a smaller group of active posters, right, that were doing most of the, uh, the, the posting. Um, but what ha what seemed to happen is once .NET Nuke started getting better adoption in business areas, people wanted to be on the core team because of the association, because right. it would help them get more business, but that diminished their their time that they could devote to helping us accomplish our goals. <laughs> so it became like, you know, something that they could use to... to Grow their business, but it didn't help us. Yeah. At it didn't all. help the product. Yeah, well, I got to imagine there's got to be a maximum size here, efficiency-wise. You can't have too many cooks. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only so many folks right. you can work with at once that can help pick direction at once, and you've got to at some point call the ball, right? Like if we're all, we spend all our time in committee trying to figure out how we're going to build for software, we're never going to build anything. You know that, what? Go ahead. Okay. That we talk about that, and going back to that funding slide. That's where we were when we formed the .NET New Corporation. We said, you know what, we're at the point now where a, a bunch of guys managing this part-time, you know, I, I couldn't deal with 5,000 volunteers right now, you know? Who could, really? So, Can you ever deal with that many volunteers? That's crazy. No, not with the, not with the group this Not this with the size. infrastructure you have. Right. And so we, we recognized a year ago, and, and further back than that even, that we had to get resources and funding in place so we could have a dedicated management team and a dedicated focus so that we have people who can say, okay, you three people over there, yes, here's a little project you can go work on, and, and yes, I'll check up on you every once in a while. Um, and that there would be the infrastructure and everything in place to enable that. And, and right now we're just starting to get to that point where I think we're going to be able to turn back to the community and... and and deal with that, you know? Um, and so that was something that we specifically said, you know, we have to build the company to be able to do all of those other things. 
Scott? See, uh, two years ago, we actually embarked on a little experiment which started to address part of this. And it, you know, it seems really normal to you guys, but you know, two years ago, we made what to us was a really monumental decision about breaking the projects out from the core. Okay, and uh, like now, that's like, oh, well, yeah, of course, you know. But at the time, that was a huge deal. Um, part of the reasoning behind that was we had this great big core team of people, but without like real good, clear delineation about who could or should work on what or who was ultimately responsible for things. So, you know, we, we did that. And, and that met with some people who were really happy about it and some people who were not very happy about it. But I'll tell you what, the, uh, the payback from that has been terrific. And for a couple of reasons, and one of which is not terribly obvious. But um, two years ago, um, I think anybody on the core team would agree that they had really no concept of what it would be like to be the head of a project and understand the kind of pressure that Sean kind of by himself at the time was really under. And now we have all these project leads and man, they get it. They totally get it because they are out there and they're responsible for supporting these projects and they're, you know, they're dealing with these. Is this really about sharing pain? Sadly, in part, because I'll tell you what, it, it is uh, suffering together, which tends to build bonds. But it, <laughs> so we're all but it really think it's that education and sharing the challenge of managing yes. largely a volunteer force. That they could not have gotten otherwise. Right. And, and, and those actually are pretty neat, unique opportunities. Um, and some people have really grown and, and become really amazing um, leads of these projects in their own right. Can well, I another ask? interesting way to move your career forward, taking on a project from .NET Nuke is really exercising some serious management muscles in a challenging way. Absolutely. And, and a number of people really risen to the challenge. That's, that's really cool. And, and all of a sudden, I started to get a better picture of what the heck you guys are doing with all that money. <laughs> well, I, th I think it's a valid point. You reach a point in a volunteer organization where I, we must have a paid infrastructure to support that volunteer structure and also have means for other structures to be worked into the project. Can I ask that we bring it back to Cambrian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> back on topic. Okay. Let's do another Cambrian feature. Because I'm particularly, well, I was particularly interested in workflow and how that, how that's going to work. Are you, how are you going to tie into the designer and... <laughs> All right, okay, next question. <laughs> I didn't know I was so funny. You should hear me when I tell a joke. <laughs> I, I, I laugh, Carl, because, you know, like, like everyone, we're, we're sitting in a, uh, in a requirements meeting, and, and you're talking about, you know, exactly how the bits are going to work at the end. You know, we're, well, you, we're, you we're looking at... We have a vision, otherwise it wouldn't we do. be on the slide. We have, absolutely, yes, we, do. we do. Yeah. Um, and this is one that, that Sean and I, and we've been talking about this for a couple of years now. Um, and, and unfortunately, the, the scope of workflow to do it, what we feel is to do it correctly, or to do it justice... Um, is so large that it just takes a lot of effort to do yeah. that. Um, but what we really see is we have to enable workflow both from the, the simple scenario where it's just uh, a simple approve or disapprove, um, a simple you know one-step process, right. all the way up to some of the most complex workflows that may be cross-portal, they may be cross-servers, uh, you know, I may have content that's on my staging server and I need to publish that and approve that to go live on the production server. Um, so tell me, tell me what the difference is between uh, the workflow things that you just described and simply enabling your API through Windows Workflow Foundation. And maybe I say simply kind of tongue-in-cheek. I mean, I don't know what's involved in that. So the, it's, it's, I, I don't think that Windows Workflow Foundation is off the table. But there are certainly some challenges with uh, workflow. 
from Microsoft that. Uh, so you're actually talking about writing your own workflow engine, possibly because because quite honestly, there in some cases we find that there are limitations that we run into because of the scenarios that we want to support, like medium trust. I can't run I can't run the Microsoft workflow in a medium trust environment. I got a lot of people out there running on the intranet or on the internet, public facing sites. You know, I don't. I don't really want to force them to run at full trust. That's not secure. Well, I mean, when my, my strategy might be, in your position, to go to Microsoft and say, hey, we're not the only ASP.NET platform out there that people want to use web uh, workflow with. What is your plan? Yes. And how can we help? I agree. But we're, yeah, you have to understand, too, that workflow is a generic engine sure. that Microsoft's provided. It doesn't, it's not specific to any particular piece of software. Yeah. So when we talk about content management, it doesn't deliver content management. No. You have to make it work yeah, within I, the context to of your, your point, application. The effort in workflow is not the workflow part. It's right. all of the hooks it's into the, .NET Nuke. Right. The, 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 the workflow actually affects things. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, we got some folks standing at the microphone. Why don't we take a question? All right. Hi. Thank you very much. I would like to ask the Corp um, about their vision of the relationship between uh, the Corp or the, the, the .NET Nuke effort and um, uh, the commercial module developers out there. Uh, there's a couple of issues um, maybe you would like to elaborate on. One of them is how do you see um, this community, this, this, this economic community grow? Um, would you like to see just a couple of big players or rather a plethora of smaller guys? Um, Secondly, um, with the core modules, uh, suites, and everything, is any piece of functionality up for grabs? What, do you, what are your thoughts on the current constellation of modules that we have vis-a-vis -vis what's out there in the, um, uh, in, the, in the wider realm? I think that's that would. Okay, so there's two questions there. Yeah, um, so the, for, the first question was really... Uh, Ecosystem, lots of little companies building a couple of controls or, or a couple of big companies building lots of controls? I think that's for the market to decide. It's right. not for us to decide. I'd be amazed if you could influence that, yeah, actually. Yeah, we couldn't. <laughs> yeah. but, but we do want to make it possible for a company to be profitable in the .NET Nuke ecosystem. And towards that end, we have to take certain measures to make sure that that people who are purchasing add-ons for .NET Nuke do not um, feel like they have to sell all of their stuff for $20 a module, right? I need to make sure that there's a strong enough and a viable ecosystem out there that if it costs you $500 reasonably to build and support and document your product, you ought to be able to charge $500 for your product and not feel like you have to compete against that hobbyist guy who threw a module out in a weekend and is charging $20 for it. Can you be, um, maybe you can elaborate on how uh, the core will be able to support uh, the, the information to the consumer, what is behind the $500 module versus the sure. $20 module? Elaborate further. I wonder about the viability of an ecosystem when you get in a situation where there's there's 40 grids 
right? There's 15 different genealogy modules. Is that actually ultimately in our best interest to just let that much go out there, or is the market going to ultimately deal with that? The market's going to self-select. The there's going to be consolidation, which happens regardless of what we do. Survival of the fittest. It, it just happens mostly just naturally. Evolution. Yeah. But I think Evolution. It, <laughs> it, 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 it served, you know, Western culture for the past couple of hundred years fairly well. Yeah. So, any luck is going to work here. But the other... you're hinting at is transparency in the market, and that's, that's something that's other, very difficult currently. Yeah, the other part of that, though, is right now there's reluctance on the part of a lot of vendors in our ecosystem to push their prices up because of that downward pressure from all of those those really low price modules. So there are things that we can do that help influence that. And we've already done some of that, right? We worked with ASP.NET Storefront and we 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 made it very attractive for them and said, look, you know, we really want you on our platform. We really think it would be good for the, the community and we're gonna, you know, add some incentives there to get you over here. Um, and so, you know, we spent a lot of time at this conference talking to com other component vendors, talking to other people to bring their products into our marketplace, not to compete against all of the people who are here, but to show people that businesses will spend money in the .NET Nuke space. You go look at Texas Instruments, you go look at um, NRL and AFL, these are not small enterprises who are afraid to buy a $500 component. They, they will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on an implementation. And if you say, I've got a document management module and the, the license is $1,000, they're like, okay, no problem. Here's a check. I think an, an important thing to remember is, is that not all consumers on the .NET New platform are the same. We've talked a lot about driving adoption. Mm. Well, adoption by mom and dad selling, you know, crawl crochet plant hangers, you know, is somewhat different, you know, than a Fortune 500 company. So there's going to be opportunity. Yeah, I was, I wanted to drive it a little bit further, actually, because I, I find it a very interesting route that we're taking. One of them, of course, is service level agreements that Dr. Nuke is now venturing in or into. We used to have also the um, the module. Um, uh, module review program. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. like it's yeah. We still have it. We still have. Can, can we find a way um, in which the two, in some way, hook up with each other? That um, uh, .NET U Corp would be able to say, well, you know, in our service level agreement, we know there's a bunch of modules out there that you know we validated them ourselves. Mm -hmm. We we have a copy ourselves. We know right. roughly yes. they so, install and uninstall. We we had this idea like a year ago that we wanted to improve the quality and the the quality, like the assurance when when consumers purchase modules in the general community because there was sort of a lack and I believe there still is a lack of assurance today um, so we introduced the uh, the module review program um, it suffered in some ways over the last year from a lack of dedicated resources to it and and the fact that we charge you know thirty dollars for a review of a module is not a high enough price point to do any significant kind of review but will module developers pay uh, like more than that for a review? Uh, it's really, we haven't seen that they will. So in some ways, the module developers have to step up and, and understand the bigger picture as well in order for this all to, to move up to the next level. Uh, I, c I couldn't agree more. All right, thanks very much for your question. Would you like a .NET Nuke book? I said a lot. I'm just afraid all you guys already have this book, right? Oh, okay. Well, 
Maybe we should finish the Cambrian slide. Yeah, let's go through the Cambrian slide. Then. Uh, the core module suites, we talked about that a bit. We identified two specific suites of modules, which we believe you know, there's a demand for today. One would be CMS functionality, and the other would be uh, social networking functionality. So this would be a suite of modules which deliver you know, features in that specific area. So those are the two suites that we identified in the keynote. Uh, dynamic content localization. Um, also, I guess we could refer to this as user-generated content localization. So this would be uh, maintaining a website in multiple languages, which is possible today, but very cumbersome. We need to provide simpler mechanisms for, for uh, enterprises to be able to do this, uh, because it's, it's a deficiency in the project today, and I, I don't think I need to talk about this one too much more, because it's pretty obvious. There, there is one, one comment to make um, about that, though, and that is, we should never forget that all these things are meant to work together. So content localization in the context of workflow, in the context of social networking, right? All of those things have to work together. And, and the last thing that we had identified is that the, uh, the .NET Nuke uh, application, in terms of its user interface, is getting a bit dated. I mean, it really hasn't changed much in the last four or five years. Um, we've added some incremental uh, modifications over the years, but but with the uh, the emergence of Ajax and Silverlight and, you know, rich UI type of functionality that's available now and actually expected in a lot of web applications, we need to take a hard look at how we can evolve the .NET Nuke uh, user interface into something that's more functional and usable. So you're going all Silverlight. <laughs> <laughs> he did say usable. <laughs> oh, no Christmas card for you. <laughs> Who made that remark? Oh, should we take another question? Yes. I think we're at the right point there. Sir, did you have a question? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple things, actually. It's gonna, based on really the funding aspect of it. And you're talking, they're looking at a, a user, which is more like that terminology, but who's invested heavily inside of the ecosystem. We're not a Texas instrument, but you know, I've got, you know, Venex is there, uh, T-Works there, I mean, Byte before it imploded, um, and a couple of other different organizations. Um, and then when the Benefactor program came out, we immediately looked at the platinum right. level, uh, because we want it, we, we support it, we have a large support in the system. But the problem I have, though, is, well, a couple things. The first thing is this, is that um, we do see, even though we're a small company, we do see the benefit of investing heavily into the growth of your organization because we've actually placed Anuk actually on our model, so in our framework. So we do see the benefit of $500 for a module that I don't have to go ahead and, you know, I have like two, three, three developers in-house and plus I'm working on everything else. $500 for a module is not that much for us because we, we, we see the benefit of it. But the problem I do get, though, being, you know, a user and a developer of everything else is this kind of like the... Dis disrespect sometimes that we get because of the timing and the users everything else that we get from .NET Nuke sometimes because we were li really looking at have the benefactor program and I didn't really like seeing the you know secondary the benefactor program because companies like ourselves we want to have the capabilities of getting if we're going to invest heavily into organization you know you know a couple hundred thousand dollars into the in the ecosystem of .NET Nuke we want to be able to have the capabilities to actually have a better support and I think that I want to see more as it relates to how you will you work with organizations that are, are utilizing the .NET environment to support it, because we're willing to support you. 
Um, I think there are a couple of things there. And one is, I, I, there, there really was no slight intended in how we segmented the, uh, the funding um, slide. Really, that was meant to show um, the different levels of what we think funding that is available from the various programs. In other words, I know from looking at the marketplace today that it will not fund the type of growth that we need. There's just not enough revenue coming through that channel. And even if I projected out as high as I want to go um, with marketplace, where I think that r limit really exists at, um, that won't fund the, the size organization and the things we want to do. So I have to look at other things. That's why Marketplace is going to be there, and we're going to invest heavily in Marketplace. That's why the Benefactor program is going to be there. But realistically, is Benefactor enough to pay for the developers that we need and for the management that we need and for the infrastructure? I mean, right now, thank God we've got maximum ASP. But they're not always going to be around and willing to, to donate the amount of, of hardware and bandwidth and everything else that they've given to us to date. Um, I think I was pretty transparent about the uh, the benefactor program actually. Um, in the first year of its existence, right, based on, on actual revenue, it, it generated eighty thousand dollars. So that's you know one FTE. One one FTE. One full time dedicated resource. And I think that for the level of support that people are expecting through the benefactor program, you're expecting more than one FTE to be responding to your well, not really. I mean, what I'm saying is that we, we, we invest heavily into the ecosystem. And that's the other thing. I guess what it is is that, not like comparatively in Microsoft, where right. you invest in Microsoft and it all goes in there because that's most of the ecosystem. Of course, you have other different individual organizations, everything else. But you, when you invest in the ecosystem, you know, with other, you support other companies, everything else, you don't really don't see yeah. what we do. You go ahead and get things support. I think also, again, I'm glad we are coming to the circle of agreement to actually come together so we can go and actually work together on those and everything else. And we're also looking at the Nexus, and they're doing a great job. Can I ask who you represent? UPRIS, Universal Patient Record Information System. Okay. And I've actually been with Don and Nick early on. So I think you're, you're, the fact that you're supporting the ecosystem is, is, is great. It, it helps. Uh, the ecosystem grow, but we don't see the benefits of it directly in terms of being able to hire resources, etc. The benefits go to the vendors from whom you are buying products. And what we are trying to achieve here is get to the point where we can get some of that capital so we can right. apply to the platform. Maybe a certification, or I don't know, say, say a certification program for the vendors too. Right. Oh, did he say certification? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't say the c word. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Thanks you. very much Thank for your you. question. Uh, are there more slides? Sure. Let's move on. Well, we're on yes. the question set. <laughs> wow. Now. That was good timing. How are we doing on time, Hal? <laughs> <laughs> we've got about 10 minutes to go, so we've got a little bit of time left. If there's another question to field, let's take it on. Okay. Uh, no complaints, though. <laughs> okay, I'll no, start I'm just off kidding. a little bit of praise. I wanted to, they all sat down. I kind of echo what this guy said, and uh, we're... We're a company that's invested heavily in using .NET Nuke. We want to thank uh, all of you for your work in it, for starting out and doing it, and for the developers that make the modules and all the great things you do there. Because uh, we're an electric utility, we don't we don't code that much. We 
In fact, uh, most of the things that we do are pretty simple. What, what company? Who do you represent? It's a Central Rural Electric Cooperative. And uh, yes. There's actually another cooperative here. And, um, we've invested in it enough that we actually took the platform and did some uh, community knowledge-based type things and won a national award from the Cooperative Research Network with your product. Congratulations. Congratulations. Can I see you about a press release for that? <laughs> you were in the newsletter like two times ago, right? In September's newsletter, were you not? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think so. really haven't communicated with you at all about it. We've just kind of done it. <laughs> and we are, we're platinum benefactors as well. Uh, and we'll probably sign up for your support offering and things because that's one of the, I mean, I, I, uh, went on the forums and saw that you said, you know, this, is, this isn't really a support thing. We have a place for support. This is to get feedback from us. So I took that to heart. And so seeing the support was, was great. And uh, we appreciate that because that's going to be a real advantage to us. Because again, we're not programmers. And there's actually another guy from another co-op here. Uh, we did a pre-conference workshop on the tool. And pe other people are adopting it as well and using it for things. And now we're using it because we, we're a rural electric cooperative, and we're reaching out to the communities and things uh, around us to help smaller places that they don't have a lot of IT or web resources available to them to use the content management system to uh, reach into their community and connect their community together. And we found that the people there are very responsive. They like the ability to you know, have the ability to edit the content in a module to bring up storefronts and to do these things. And it's great. So I, so now to my question, is in this future plan for Cambrian, as you do these quarterly releases and stuff, the biggest problem we've had is that your technology is way ahead of our ability to figure out how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our world, my friend. <laughs> that that not, didn't hurt near as much as I was developers. <laughs> We are developers, and we suffer from the same problem. <laughs> so, to, I guess to clarify that a bit more, when you're saying that we're far ahead, um, what are you what what are you hoping for? The better documentation that comes with a release to say this is the new features, this is how to use it, or training, or you know, slower what, release what do cycles. You want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> um, and and I'll, hey, I'll say this about it too. Is you, you asked about the funding sources and things. Well, I, I don't know about how he feels about it, but with what we're using this for, we would have gladly paid two to three times the price for the platinum benefactor level. Seriously. Right. Okay. We got that feedback <laughs> quite clearly about halfway the into the benefactor program. Yeah. And, and really, that's what the, the subscription SLA program is now intended to address is... You know, more serious okay. customers. I, I can address your, your, your question. I mean, yeah. it's, it really comes down to uh, a focus on usability. Um, so we are committed to that. In fact, if you saw the keynote, usability was the word that was in the largest type in the whole presentation. Uh, so, and I did that because I have an unhealthy obsession with usability. So I want to make sure that that translates into the product. It's not there yet, but we intend to, to make it more usable. And I think that will address the, the, Accessibility of those features to users who may not have encountered them yet uh, uh, in the you know web uh, journey. And to address one other one other aspect of of your question, and that is the, the frequency of our releases. 
personally, from my perspective, having used a lot of different platforms and stuff, I would rather have a platform that's releasing every month or three months and I can choose when to upgrade at my leisure rather than having someone who's releasing every three years. I have no choice in that three-year time span on when to upgrade. I'm just like, I'm waiting for the next release. You almost never are waiting for our next release. You're choosing, nope, I think I'm going to skip this release. No, I think I'm going to skip these two releases. Um, and then you're upgrading when it suits your business cycle. I think that's a tremendous benefit, personally. And and I'm not, yeah, it is. And I'm not knocking that, I, really, I'm not. It's just that there, well, you take the community that we, that we service, okay. We've got a few IT people, uh, and we are intimate with, this, with the platform, and we can figure out how to do a lot of things. But when I take it out to Stroud, Oklahoma, and to their Chamber of Commerce, and a 63-year-old grandmother who can barely do her email is the person that's now about to become the web administrator. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and and, and wow. now, we've got a model for this, too. The executive assistant for the CEO administers our board of trustees' website, and she's a 63-year-old grandmother. And she does a great job, and she learned to do it. We still have to help her with things and that kind of stuff, but it's it's a wonderful tool for these kind of things, and it and and it um, it helps the web administrator people out a lot. But well, you know, like I say, you ask more documentation. Well, we need documentation that we can give to these end users that isn't so technical in nature that that they get lost on the introductory paragraph. Yeah, that's and, and that's what I'm kind of asking about. And you ask about training and those kind of things. Yeah, sure. That's that's a good thing as well. And I don't want you to slow down on the release cycle because it's exactly like you say. You know, okay, here come these releases and I need to figure out how to use it. I don't want to wait three years, but when I'm ready, I want to go. And we like that. It's just that sometimes it seems like the documentation, especially, and I'm not going to pick on the core now, I'm going to pick on the module developers. It's <laughs> awfully weak. <laughs> Sean, awfully I have your grandmother weak. on the phone. She's trying, to, uh, <laughs> she's trying to add a module to the... And, uh, and as far as the, uh, you, I, I, I will make this one last comment, and then I'll get away because nobody wants to hear me anymore. But the, uh, the, the module developers and the certification program, I would estimate that at least 50% of what we've spent on mod modules has been lost investment because the modules didn't do what they were advertised to do. They didn't fit in. Right. They didn't work. So uh, from our point of view as a business that is, using your tool. If you want to charge what you feel is necessary to make that program worthwhile, to us that's a plus. We're paying a module developer just because we want a specific type of functionality from the calendar module, a significant amount of money to develop it. So if, you know, if you've got a... Oh, the problem is the adoption by, by the developers. That's... Well, I'll tell the developers right now, if you've got to charge $250 for a license for your module, if it works, it's worth it to me. And there's a lot of other people, I'm sure, him and uh, uh, Sean back here feel the same way. I mean, because how much does it cost for us to sit? I know what it's costing us to pay this developer to make a calendar module. Right. And if you got to charge $300 for your module, I'm still getting off cheap. <laughs> Thank you very much for your question.
we're, we're about out of time, but I'll take this last question. He's been waiting so patiently, and then we're going to have to wrap up. Just before you, you um, sorry, before. Well, I just wanted to, we also want an opportunity to, I think Charles has to get out of here too, but I think that we really need to congratulate and thank the core team as well for their effort. Because you guys could stand, stand up again. Yeah. You guys have done It's a lot of core members. I'm impressed. I'm glad you guys are yeah, all those here. Those are project team, core team, alumni. I mean, we have fantastic support. Last question. Just real quick. Um, I'm a consultant, and this ecosystem that you're talking about is very important to me because I'm trying to make revenue by uh, selling your product to my clients and selling my time putting it together. And of my past experience, I've written a lot. Of, I've written off a lot of modules that have not worked for me, and my main point is I'm stuck on 212 because I bought a module I can't upgrade. I can't upgrade the product because of the module. Right. What I like to see through the uh, core team is to look at the modules through the marketplace, be able to not necessarily guarantee, but ensure I'd rather buy from the marketplace knowing that product's going to be around, that I'll be able to upgrade my services and be able to sell the product. So somebody and, had a great idea yesterday, which they ran by me, and they said that one thing that we could do which would would deal with your problem is if we would get module developers to put their code in escrow, not necessarily give it out, like it would never be given out, only in the event that they went out of business. Correct. Then at least the customer is protected. Correct. And that would be a value add that we would right. do. I don't know the logistics of the legalities of doing that, but it was a great idea that was suggested yesterday, and we are listening, so it's something that we'd be worth... That, that's something that would be a good solution to the process, and I do feel that the modular developers need to increase their prices because that will help me sell the product. Um, I also have to say that, you know, people go, how much is your price for doing a website? I tell them this price, they go, but it's free. So then I got to justify the modules that I purchased to deliver the product for them. So it's a, a full circle process. We all have to kind of stick together and raise our prices. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't just, say just, that here. Just that no collusion, no collusion real, 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 at all. Just a real quick question in closing. Uh, you have a store and you now have ASP store as a store. Uh, are you going to drop the DNN store? And promote the no. SP store as a no. That's a commercial product. That's not ours. No, we 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 selected a vendor based on a set of criteria that we felt were necessary for our for for the marketplace, the features that we needed. The open source product was not there at that time, um, but quite honestly, we we had to go with somebody. Okay, and if the if the open source side didn't have the features that we needed. I don't have the resources to say, okay, well, instead of putting up the store, I'm going to spend the next year building out the store module, right? We couldn't afford to do that. We did the same thing that the other people have mentioned here. You know, we, it's like buy versus build. build. We, right. we bought. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so, but that doesn't detract at all um, from the store module. I think, quite honestly, I think that there's plenty of room in our ecosystem for modules, both open source and commercial, that ad address different market segments. The people who find use uh, and, and utility in the store module, the open source one, right now, tend to be much smaller sites. They have a, a, a much uh, 
much fewer requirements in terms of what they need for e-commerce. And, and quite honestly, ASP.NET storefront is really targeting a much higher end e-commerce type of, of, of site. Okay. You know, they're the ones selling on Crocs and McDonald's and some of these other really high end sites. And they've got customers who've said, but we want to do that on .NET Nuke. And they said, okay, we'll port it over. Um, All right. Thank you. Keep up good work. Thank you. Thanks. I don't have a question. I just want to say uh, from all of us, everyone who's come to the conference, thank you to you guys for putting this on and letting us do. Um, I mean, .NET Nuke's my full-time business. I know there's a lot of us here that do that. So thank you to everyone that's on the stage now and everyone who does their work uh, within .NET Nuke on a day-to-day -day basis. So thank you from all of us Thanks, to you. Thanks, Chris. And I would like to thank, on behalf of myself and Richard Campbell, Scott Hill, uh, Scott Wilhite, sorry, uh, Sean Walker, uh, Joe Brinkman, Nick Cagliani, and Larry Augustin. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time on .NET Weeks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.